The Physician's Road. Create your life in medicine, on your own terms. Today, we are on the path of practice. Today, on the Physician's Road podcast, we talk about new practice startup, the steps to create your own private practice, and the pitfalls to avoid as a new graduate or as an employed physician wanting to start your own practice. This podcast gives you the tools on how to effectively and efficiently do that. Go to createmypractice.com. That is createmypractice.com for more guides and resources. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free your today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Physician's Road podcast, where you create your life in medicine. Today, we're on the path of practice. And I'm so happy to have our partner, um, kind of in the practice management realm, um, Practice Forces. And we have Parul Garg from Practice Forces here to talk to us about setting up and starting a practice. Um, I know many physicians out there want to either remain independent or potentially go independent once they've gotten into an, an employed situation that they no longer find um, tenable. And for those that are still going to take third-party insurance, this podcast is for you. And for those of you who are either in residency or fellowship and coming out and wanting to start your own practice, we've also pretty much tried to design this podcast for you as well. And so we're going to get right to it and just kind of talk about um, starting a practice. Let's take it from the standpoint of a new graduate coming out of either residency or fellowship. What should they be thinking about as they prepare to open a practice, kind of what's the timeline look like, and then give us some some things that they should be looking at. Uh, hello, everyone. This is Parul Garg, and I'll be talking about uh, opening a new practice and physicians who are coming straight out of residency. So the first question, physicians who are coming straight out of residency for the new grads, you want to start thinking about who will you be joining um, basically in springtime. And uh, once you have made the decision, the practice, who, wh- whoever you are joining, they basically pick on and contact, uh, you know, whoever is doing the credentialing, they basically contact. But the right time is about spring as um, to have you credential, get your license, insurances, all those things takes about easily 90 to 120 days. So um, once you graduate and you are thinking to start join a practice in July, August, uh, somewhere about March, April is a good time to start. Okay, great. And so that's if somebody's joining a practice. Now, what if someone wants to start their own practice? So if you're a new physician, new resident, and uh, you want to start a new practice, the same thing follows. The only difference is you want to also apply for a tax ID. Start with um, IRS and s- apply for a new tax ID, open a new bank account with the whatever bank you prefer and uh, a checking account and the tax ID are two important things if you want to start your own practice. Got it. And I think a lot of people will get accountants to oftentimes do that for them. They could do that on their own. Now let's talk about kind of NPIs and all of those types of um, 
numbers that we all have to have as physicians and what is that process? What does that look like? Who has to get one? What is that, you know, what does that look like? So the residents or the physicians, they can apply. Uh, there are several different things that you have to uh, work on. CAQH is one of them. NPI is another thing. If you are joining a practice, then you don't have to worry about the group NPI, but every practice, if you're opening a new tax ID, the practice also should have a uh, NPI that's called the group NPI. Uh, normally, uh, uh, normally, billing companies and credentialing companies, management companies like us do take care of all that stuff. So if you were to be assigned to practice forces or you hire, you hire a business partner like practice forces, all we need from you is your date of start date and uh, your bank account information. And from there, we take every, take care of everything. Okay. And let's just say if, if somebody was doing it on their own, can we go through what is CAQH? CAQH is a centrally stored data that is used nationally by all different insurances. So CAQH uh, holds your CV, your um your licenses, your start dates, basically it holds everything that you know a physician needs to inform uh, malpractice insurance information. So CAQ basically stores everything that insurances have direct access to your file in order to credential, they do look at all that stuff. If you have a gap, um, gap CAQH basically should tell you the correct, uh, you know, tell the date of start and end of a practice. Uh, insurance can co uh, contact you or question you on the basis of CAQH. So CAQH data is should be accurate. It should be uh, correct who to contact, you know, for credentialing need, where the payments are going, what's your bank. I mean, the, um, the country, uh, CAQH was not actively used five years back as it is used now. Got it. Okay. And so is there a website that someone goes to for that or how does someone find and access CAQH? Yeah. Uh, okay. The website, the website name. Oh, no, we don't need uh, the exact one. They can, they can Google it. That's easy, but okay. it's just easy for them to Google CAQH and they'll be able to find it. And then yes, the, the website is, uh, should be CAQH.com and uh, you uh, physicians or residents, they have to open a new login that's normally connected to their email. It has all the personal information like, uh, you know, your date of birth and um, security questions and all that stuff. So they basically, um, the CAQH, content should be all accurate. The physician needs to attest and there is regular uh, attestation that's required for, for the physicians or the physician's uh, manager, whoever is helping them out every quarter. On a quarterly basis, you uh, attest the CAQH information too for validation and accuracy. Okay, got it. And so now let's talk about the NPI. So national, what is it? national NPI. provider identifier. How does someone go about that process? So NPI is basically what is linked. Um, NPI is monitored by CMS. Hmm. Um, the website is nppes.com. Okay. And we can, we can look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. Exactly. I know, I know you didn't have, I didn't have all this stuff in front of you, but we're just walking people through the process of right. kind of what needs to be done. And I mean, that's what the Google machine is for. And so okay. the NPI, they get from CMS. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, you want people to know about that and what they need to be doing? Yeah. So NPI and CAQH, they both are unique numbers that are linked to the physician. 
no matter wherever they go the caqh and npi just moves along with them it doesn't change it's like a social security number for medical practices or medical doctors basically caqh and npi are both basic information like a caq uh, like a social security document for doctors and it moves with you as you move to different practices or you know um and so the good so now let's let's flip it a little bit to someone who has been employed let's say they're academic or they've been in in a in a practice um and they want to start their own um what how would you um how would you guide them on the first steps that they need to be taking um before they leave the practice and what's that timeline um before they leave if they're thinking about leaving so once a physician have made a decision of leaving a practice that they are currently working they of course will you know talk to the current practice and uh, set us uh, set a end date and that end date should be basically the start date of their new practice so there should i mean uh, insurance for insurance reasons and you know there should not be any gap so you want to if you take the end date of a, of your current practice is 9:30 your start date with your new practice your own practice should be 10:01 give enough time to for people or you know company who is doing your credentialing again about 90 days is a good good estimation on time because everything takes time get your npi number your pcos number from the current biller or current administrator who is who is um you know who works on your file A lot of physicians don't have any idea on what they need to have with them. This this number, this login password belongs to them. If you don't have it, that's not a big deal. Um, CMS helps physicians out. We can put the uh, provider on call. They will ask you a bunch of questions, security questions, and the file can be unlocked, or you know the passwords can be reset, or a new password can be done. But every time you move a practice, you don't ha- apply for a new NPI number. You carry forward your old number. So it's important for the physicians to keep a track of their username passwords. Got it. And so you said, P- so you said Picos. What is Picos, and how does someone have to use it if they're moving from practice to practice? So, what Picos does is Picos manages the Medicare information through this portal called Picos, P-E-C-O-S. You work with Medicare application online. No longer is the time to fill out med, uh, Medicare application on paper. You everything do you do everything electronic. The physician attests and signs, and it's submitted to Medicare. So in Picos, you basically tell who are you working under, what are the facilities you will be going, who will be receiving your payment, what will be your bank account information. If you are joining, leaving practice A and joining practice B, that information is on Picos. And Medicare, once the physician moves from practice A to practice B, Medicare assigns. another unique medicare number the number stays same but the trick is they assign you a suffix they change the suffix so if my uh, medicare number with my practice at uh, taxes was 123 um, abcd uh, abcda when i move to practice b my P, my medicare number will be medicare p10 will be abcdb A B C D, uh, and, and basically they just change the suffix. Got it. So the number stays the same. The suffix mm-hmm. changes based upon place of where you're working. Mm-hmm. Okay. And are there any other things that a physician, if they're leaving a, a an employed position, should know that they have to take with them, or know that they have to then access and then update besides 
I guess, um, insurance credentialing um, and kind of PICOS with Medicare and, and CAQH? Update the malpractice file, the insurance files, and the license. Um, I think the, um, the DEA license stays, uh, I mean, it, unless it's expiring, that, that doesn't, um, you don't have to, as long as you're licensed, you're good. Got it. Okay, perfect. I think that's. I think that gives a good overview for people in terms of um, what they need to be thinking about from coming out of residency and then also moving in terms of the different organizations where their information is located and what they need to be doing. So let's think about. Let's talk about it from the standpoint of what are the major pitfalls that you see physicians when they are first starting their practice. And we can. And, you, and it can go. It can be some of the things we've already talked about. So let's talk about a resident, someone coming out of training, whether residency or fellowship. What are the major mistakes you see people make in that process? A um, couple of major mistakes that we see is physicians underestimate the time that insurance can take, may take or may not take to credential them. Medicare takes the longest. Once Medicare application is done, then you can work on other insurances to get in line. Some of the commercial does work without uh, without um, waiting for Medicare, but most insurances wait for Medicare information. Blue Cross is another insurance. If you want to take Blue Cross plan, that takes the longest time. It takes the Blue Cross time is can take up to six months. That's 180 days. So if you are not credentialed and you want to see office patients, you basically will be seeing those patients either for free or out of network. Patients don't like to pay out of network fee in offer. Uh, physicians who are seeing patients in the office. Okay, so so what you're so, so what I'm hearing you say is getting the correct lead time to credential yourself so that you're not kind of in a cash crunch during that period. Yes. What I'm hearing yes. you say is that Medicare it takes the longest, so you want to start that process first. And and what's the lead? T- give us the lead time again for that with Medicare, ideally. So Medicare, you can apply for application 30 days prior. If I want to start a practice 10-1. Uh, the person who is working on my Medicare application, it can be me or, you know, whoever is working on the Medicare application, they can apply for the Medicare application on 9-1 or after. Medicare doesn't give you uh, long gone are the days when you can apply for Medicare six months ahead of time or three months ahead of time. So only 30 day window. But you can um, you can prep out things so that 9-1, you're ready to file a Medicare application. Once you file the Medicare application, again, state to state, it differs. Uh, Medicare says it can take from 30 days to three months. So yeah. Yeah. you want to you want to keep that mind, uh, you know, time frame in your mind. Um, one thing we learned is Medicare kicks out about 80% of your application of their applications in a timely fashion. The 20% application they keep, they can they can basically play around uh, along with those applications. Those applications which fall into 20% of the criteria can take more than six months. So a new resident or a physician who is thinking, um, you know, to start their own practice, keep enough cash flow, you know, by your side. Okay. And so what, what are the reasons why Medicare, that 20%, what, what, what is the problem with those applications that causes them to be rejected or to be delayed? The common reasons are you not providing your correct information. 
Sometimes um, your names don't match. You know, Medicare checks everything. Medicare also does a site review. If you plan to open a practice uh, or office location that's new and it's under construction, Medicare people visits that site, they do random audits, and they see that office is not even active, they won't give you a Medicare number. So okay. um, they, they have their own ways to check things, to review things, and uh, basically... You just need to make sure that you apply for your Medicare. And when you apply for your Medicare information, everything has to be correct. Gotcha. And are there other specific things uh, that they forget to put in the application or don't have or that get kicked out sometimes? Are there other besides um, names, besides location? Certificates, your certificates, Medicare check for your, you know, um, for the certificates from nurse practitioners. We see that they don't get appropriate certificates from the um you know when they when they graduate they, they don't have appropriate certificates especially for uh, residents who are coming from out of country they need uh, certificates from that country as well ah okay that's helpful so so foreign medical grads have to make sure that they have all the certificates mm-hmm. in and put in, in with their application mm-hmm. any any other hiccups that you see that happen commonly um, in that 20 Medicare sometimes uh, requires provider to submit a copy of their social security card. If you don't have that, they can kick out the application. Bank check. Bank check is another in, another piece of information for transferring your money from Medicare to your bank electronically. They need a bank check. So when you start a new practice, the bank just gives you some five or 10 blank checks that you can use that does not have your practice name. The bank check that you submit to Medicare for the EFT purpose should have your practice legal business name, not just the DBA. It should have the legal business name. If that name doesn't match your group uh, NPI or the tax ID number, that's another kickback factor. Ah, that's a, that's, that's a golden nugget right there. That's a... That, that's that's seat knowledge. Okay, perfect. Any anything else before we move on, kind of to Blue Cross Blue Shield? Mm, not really. Okay. And so Blue Cross Blue Shield is kind of the next lag. Oh, this is what I want to ask. Now, if it takes three months, but your start date is thirty days, can someone start seeing Medicare patients and then bill, keep those bills and then submit them after they are, yes. they can with Medicare? Can yes. they do the same thing with Medicaid? Uh, so Medicare gives you a, up to a year. So even if your uh, Medicare application falls in the 20% criteria where it takes up to six months for them to do the credentialing, Medicare will retro back your application to what you what you applied for. And you can submit your Medicare bills up to a year. Okay. And what about, uh, Medica- what about Medicaid? Medicaid is again an, uh, one year. It just uh, Matt, what what's important is to keep track of the start date of the effective date when Medicare and Medicaid is approving your application. Sometimes Medicare is asking you to sign some paperwork or send them some paperwork. If you don't take care of it, you have to start restart the application, and that time you lose your start date. You lose your effective date. Ah, okay. And then what about the private insurers? Will they allow you to have an application date and then you can see the patients and then they allow you to back bill that or no? Most insurances will allow you to back date um, most insurances, but it just depends on how you are submitting the application and how they are processing the application. Okay. And so it is, it is, it's better that you start pre-plan for it, start the applications on time. That way you don't lose on, on revenue right when you start a new practice. Okay. You want to be planned. 
And so you say Blue Cross Blue Shield can be a bit uh, can be a bit of a long lead time. Yes. Are there any other insurance insurers off the top of your head um, that you can think of that might have a longer lead time as well? No, as soon as you apply for CAQH, a lot of these commercial insurances like Cigna, Aetna, um, you know, they just uh, they just utilize that CAQH data and can credential you. Commercial ins- um, insurances, the credentialing is quicker than Medicare and Blue Cross and Medicaid also. Medicaid, they ask you to do fingerprinting, uh, physical fingerprinting. If you don't get it done from a Medicaid uh, approved agent, they can kick out your application. Oh, okay. Oh, wow, that, that must be a new thing because I, I, I don't think I ever did a fingerprint for Medicaid. Interesting. Okay. So let's move on to another topic. And if tell me if you feel comfortable answering it. Um, mm-hmm. I know that you all have experience with multiple practices. So I, I want to ask it. If you don't feel com- com- confident in your answer, you, we can move to something else. But can you give any tips on kind of staffing requirements um, or hiring? Let's just talk about staffing requirements and hiring office personnel. Um, I hear a lot of physicians complaining about um, their inability to, to, they feel like they're either they're overstaffed or they're not hiring the right people. Do you have any tips? Can you give any tips from the practices that you've helped over the years in terms of finding personnel? So my number one tip is apply for the, when you put out an ad in, I, I don't think so anyone applies for office personal ads in newspaper anymore. It's all online. Put your request in the right way, word it rightly so that you get correct correct kind of candidates. Okay. Can you give some examples of that? Example, um, yeah. So um, when, you hire, when you call in a candidate for interview, screen them properly, give them written tests, ask them, you know, proper verbal questions, do a background screening for the candidates. That's very important. You don't want to put your patients with a person who you are not comfortable with, a staff member who you are not comfortable with. So um, get their get their uh, reference checks. Mm-hmm. Getting reference checks is another good thing. And uh, once you hire the candidate, make sure you give them written protocols. Training should be proper. You can train a person who is not good by giving them proper written protocols and documentation of what they're expected, what should they do, and how should they do it. Got it. And so what I'm hearing you say is that your practice should have written policies and procedures already in place so Mm -hmm. that when when you're hiring someone, they're very clear as to what their what the expectations are for them um, as it relates to the practice and in terms of what your expectation is of them um, in terms of how they're going to carry out uh, their job functioning within your specific practice. Um, is that, would, would that be correct? Exactly. Now, are, do you, do you, when you first start taking over practices or helping practices, what percentage of them would you say have written protocols already in place? Maybe 10%. Okay. Uh, yeah. that, that was not a plant question. I just figured that that was probably going to be the case. Right. Okay. And so let's talk about the, pro- the, the problem with not having written protocols in place. Can you kind of give some of the issues that you see with not having those put in place? So if your practice does not have written protocols, Basically, your front office, your MAs, your back office, everyone is just doing what they want to do. And no one knows where the source of information is. Um, We have seen many times where the doctor says, oh, I really didn't even know that that has been happening. 
and that could uh, that something you know could have been happening in the office for years and years that the doctor doesn't know because there is no no written process um in medical practices i mean again it depends on how you manage the practice but there can be high to high to medium turnover i mean it, it's never low turnover medical practices office managers keep changing your ma's keep changing so the reason for the change one 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 common reason what we have seen is the staff does not have clarity what to what to take as the uh, um, you know as a role um, basically your written written protocol should answer a lot of questions and re-revise re the written protocol as you see some change update your documentation if i have a written protocol from 10 years back and i'm still following it today it's no good with with changing insurances medical practices should have the front office should have a list of insurances that the doctors take you can take you can see 100 patients a day in the practice but if you are not credential with 30% of those patients you drop the money yeah okay. absolutely absolutely and can you talk about um from a um not really from a medical legal standpoint from a compliance standpoint um, where do practices fall short not having written protocols when it comes to compliance? And so we're talking about EMR compliance, we're talking about all kinds of compliance. So where do you see practices falling short on, comp on regulatory compliance when they don't have protocols? So if you don't have, if you fail to have written protocols or your protocols are not up to date, not up to par, again, people the staff if you have 20 uh, 20 employees in the office the, everyone is just doing what they want to do ultimately the problem happens when the patient complains when the insurance find pit, pit calls in what the practices are doing the doctor is responsible he takes the hit of whatever compliance issue comes into place um, getting HIPAA compliance in your offices is important thing Medicare is pushing for the compliances um, you basically need to be compliant. Okay, right. and so what are those big compliance issues that you see practices falling short on? Um, so you said HIPAA, are, are there other are there security compliances? What, what, what are the things that you're seeing that people are missing? Security risk analysis is another thing that Medicare is pushing with the MIPS. They, they have made it mandatory. Uh, doesn't mean that everyone is doing it and following it, but security risk assess assessment we have seen it's good not sharing your passwords changing your passwords on a regular basis it's good um it's it's it should be done um we we work with so many patients private information you cannot share that information outside now how does somebody let medicare know that that has been done if the, how does someone attest to those things those compliance things um at this point so at this point there are several medicare when medicare started the security risk assessment companies uh, new companies came up they opened their businesses and there are companies in your area i'm sure there are many companies who do the security risk assessment they send a person they send you questionnaire this make sure that you are taking care of you abide by them and then they give you a certificate it needs to be done once a year, and you basically sub, uh, supply that certificate to Medicare. You, it's a yes or no answer for in the MIPS. Have you done your security risk assessment? Yeah. If you put a yes, Medicare again can again come back and ask for you to pro prove that, provide the certification. So you should just have that in your file. Um, 
practices who have done the security risk assessment, they should have a file in their office in which employees have signed it where they say that, yes, we went through the training. Yes, we went through the uh, process and they th that's what it is required. Got it. Perfect. It's a mandatory. It's a mandatory uh, compliance requirement. It's not an optional, optional, optional to employees. And how many practices do you think are actually doing it? Practices who are sub, who are participating with MIPS, in case if they aim to get the incentive, they are doing it. Practices who are using the EMR and using the EMRs properly um, in order to be compliant, they should use it. Okay. Um, and, and by, experience about uh, at least about 50% of the practices in general are uh, compliant. So what you, you're saying basically half the practices out there aren't compliant in mm -hmm. terms of doing this. Okay. And then that's great. The next question we had was EMR. So EMR selection. And that, it doesn't matter if you're coming out of residency or coming out of um, an employed situation. Um, what, what recommendations do you have regarding EMR selection for people when they're starting their own practice? For EMR select, uh, EMR is a very, very important piece of your practice. You don't work on paper records anymore. All hospital systems are on EMR. So find out in your area, what is the common EMR people are using? Are they satisfied with the EMR they are use, uh, that current practices are using or not? Look at the templates. Um, basically, you need to see for your specialty what's convenient to you. Use it. Uh, to name a few EMRs, Practice Fusion is one, one of the EMRs that's free of cost. If you are coming straight out of residency and you don't have enough budget, start with that. But don't get stuck to your, a free EMR. Okay. And why would you say don't get stuck to a free EMR? I think, and I think Practice Fusion now started charging. I think they did. They, they started charging because they have to do certain things for MIPS. So... A free EMR versus an EMR, what you pay about $200, $300, there will be a difference. It's just like going to Walmart or going to, you know, a, a cheap store. Okay. So you're saying basically you get what you pay for when it comes to an EMR? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And do you have, well, you deal with so many different kinds of practices. Can you give, and I know some of it's going to be specially specialty base, but can you give some EMRs? Because I know you work with many different EMRs. Can you talk about some of the EMRs that your clients like to use? Um, and then people can go from there doing their own research. Some of the EMRs that we use at practice forces are eClinical, AdvanceMD. Uh, many practices use practice fusion also. These, these are the three EMRs that we primarily work with. And they... Okay. And the, and do and your and your clients like those EMRs. Mm -hmm. Okay, so people, you can do your own um, research on them. You said practice forces, eClinical works, and what was the third one? Advanced MD, eClinical e works, okay. and Practice Fusion. The pitfall with Practice Fusion is you have to find a billing partner who integrates with the EMR, and the integration works smooth. But there are times when we see things are getting dropped and stuff, so. Primarily, a uh, EMR should be also a good practice management system. My recommendation is advanced MD and eClinical. Okay, and can you can you explain what a practice management system is for people who have no clue what that is? Okay, EMR is electronic medical record system. Mm -hmm. Practice management system is also called as PM. Basically, practice management system is through which you will be doing your billing. So billing, reporting, 
is what what you what brings you money emr is for the hosting the patient records okay Got there it. are systems out there that provides both so uh, integrated emr and a practice management system is the best best to go about if you work on emr a and work with the practice management that's b you want to make sure that the linkage is proper if the link is not proper then there can be there can be chances for you to drop revenue right there okay so now let's talk about kind of your company and how you help people set up practices whether that's going to be new newly minted people coming out of training or people coming out of um employed situations when would someone begin contacting a company well first let's talk about what your company does to help people set up practices and then we can talk about what it will when they should be contacting you if they're thinking about setting up a practice so we at practice forces we support physicians no matter whatever issues they are coming from basically we have doctors who come to us they come out of after frustration or unless they want to start a new practice we try to help them as much as we can we listen to them ask them what we need and then after that we take on from there um a practice forces basically has helped many practices in the past and in last one year we have many helped many practices who are doctors who have uh, left their jobs as a hospitalist or as a part of the group and we help them move and open their own individual practices um they are running successfully they are very thankful to us that the change switch over that they had with practice forces what was stress free let's talk a little bit more in depth about what specific things you help with so from from insurance credentialing like what are the processes that you all can that they can kind of turn over to you to help them through the process of of getting up and seeing patients so the uh, to start with the basic process they need to turn on uh, they need to give us the username passwords for the caqh for the npi um their licenses their malpractice insurance once we receive that then we work apply on applications on their behalf if signatures are needed they just sign the applications and from their practice forces follows their application keeps track give them regular feedback on their credentialing um on pretty much on a weekly basis initially it might not be weekly but uh, as the dates are getting closer we set a effective date of when they will be starting to see the practice patients in their practice and as this effective date gets closer we give them feedback on what insurances they can take what they need to hold on and uh, uh, we work very closely with doctors and their office personnel who schedules the appointment they need to know um they need to know the difference in what to see and what not to see okay and when it comes to emr selection do you help with emr selection and what does that process look like yes we do help um, physicians with the emr selection we understand what their needs are are they a urgent care practice or primary care into um, specialist what kind of specialty they are um there are several different emrs and uh, according to the specialty they are and accord um according to our you know the information we have uh, knowledge of emrs we do help them suggest the best emr someone have uh, you know upfront money to spend we 
tell them EMR of, uh, you know, of that uh, cost. If practice say, doctor say, I'm ribbed, I don't have any money to spend upfront. We basically work with them accordingly. We, we want to make sure that you are not putting money in your bank, funding the bank over and over just because you are not getting paid. Okay, got it. And then how does practice forces integrate into a practice? Meaning, um, what does that process look like? So I'm assuming that you, you're able to connect with their EMR. How, do you help kind of with the processes of how a practice is going to flow? And if yes. so, how? So uh, practices forces works very, very efficiently and effectively from the day one that the doctor's has made up his mind to, and the doctor signs with practice forces uh, that I will be starting to work on my own practice with a set time frame. We work with them ahead of time. About sixty days is a good timeline for you know us to uh, partner with the uh, physician and work on the back end for them, so that when the date of practice is there we are kind of ready you are never ready 100 percent, but as long as you have things going on in the background as of um, as long as someone is prepping for your uh, paperwork your insurance credentialing um, basically practices we have seen seamless transition um, initial 30 days once the doctor starts the practice they don't get the money it's the revenue stream is low 30 to 60 days but after that uh, within 90 to 120 days we have seen practices ramping up and after that it's it's a it's a gold mine okay got it and so if i remember correctly you all tend to be paperless so you tend to do a lot of electronic things if i'm not mistaken yes we have we will have access to your EMR. We actively participate in the trainings that the EMR companies are doing with the doctor's office. If they are not uh, giving the training, and we have uh, tr- we have trainers, specialized EHR training consultants at our side. We basically share the knowledge wealth that we have in house with the practices, um, the do's and the don'ts and uh, give them written protocols, written instructions on how to do, what to do. So that helps out the practices a lot. Okay. And so if I, and you all have a new practice startup program for people, if I'm correct. Is that, yes. is that correct? Yes. So Practice Forces offers a new practice startup package. It covers everything for you. The physicians who have uh, bought that package with us have been truly thrilled and you know they have seen how effectively that has worked um we we don't try to collect our check at the uh, you know right away we you know if if the physician is onboarding new practice or you know moving from somewhere we also say okay just give us a check for uh, half the amount down payment so that we know you are you know, we have a good relationship to start with. And once we see that the money is flowing in for them, we can collect your second half of the check then. So Practice Forces is there to support your practice on your behalf. Perfect. I think that's a great way to end this podcast. This is is great because as we're building out this this library of information about how to start a practice and how to efficiently run a practice, um, we're going to have a website dedicated to kind of this information here called createmypractice.com. It's going to be at createmypractice.com. And there you'll be able to sign up to get information on that practice startup package that they have. Um, So it's no obligation. And the great thing is you all are willing to work with them in terms of those that don't 
have a lot of money to start up with that you can work with them over time. And so that's great. Mm -hmm. And so I want to thank Perul Garg for being here from Practice Forces. Uh, Again, we're on the path of practice. uh, And I want to thank everyone who's listened today. Please go to iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or the podcast platform of your choice and give us a rating. Again, five stars is always best, so we can get up there and get out there to more physicians um, as much as possible. And also, we have a Facebook group where we talk more in-depth about many of these topics. Um, You can go to Facebook and just put in uh, The Physician's Road and just answer the questions, and and we'll accept you in there. I want to thank everyone for listening to The Physician's Road, where you create your life in medicine on your own terms. Thanks, Perul. Thank you. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free your today. Thank you for listening to The Physician's Road, where you create your life in medicine on your own terms. Please go to thephysiciansroad.com and sign up for your free guides and resources.